following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. And next, uh, I'll read our second Bible reading. Uh, it's from Isaiah chapter 56, verses 3 to 7. Do not let the foreigner join to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And do not let the eunuch say, I am just a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath and do not profane it and hold fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Don't you love it when the scripture passages the sermon? <laughs> Like, what, what, do I, what am I going to say that's better than that? <laughs> and I love having Vila uh, join us all the way from Finland to uh, lead us in prayer and to read scripture with us. What a great privilege it is to be in community with each other across those many miles. And, um, you know, the, the whole there's a silver lining thing is a little bit of a, a cliche at this point, but that is truly one of the silver linings of the Zoom church era that we've gotten to know so many people who could never have joined us otherwise. And we're grateful for all of you and, and so glad that you are part of our community. You're just as much a part of our community as the people who are sitting in these chairs right now. Thanks for being here. So I have a question for you. I'm gonna, it's like the, the most interesting way to start any conversation. It's about the weather. <laughs> this past week, in Rochester. Was it spring or winter? <laughs> Somebody says yes. Good. <laughs> right. So that's, that's actually a sort of, it's like a quasi-philosophical question that I would be interested in knowing your answer to. Was it spring or was it winter? Don't answer too, quick, too quickly. I mean, because defined one way, the obviously correct way to some people, it was spring. It has been spring since March 21st, or was it 20th this year? I don't remember. But to find another way, with our senses, according to what we understand seasons to mean, the words spring and winter conjure up certain ideas and experiences for us. It was definitely winter, at least for a day or so. Here's the interesting thing. When it's snowing outside and freezing cold outside and the roads are slippery and the plants are at risk of dying from the cold ground, 
It doesn't matter that some calendar expert's going to come along and say, well, technically, April 21st is actually springtime. That's the voice of every calendar expert you know. (laughs) What you have to do is ignore the fact that it is literally spring, and you have to put on a coat. And you have to drive slowly and carefully. And you have to cover your plants. And there might be consequences if you don't. Right? The consequences range from minor discomfort all the way, potentially, to death. So today, I'm going to be talking about a person from the Bible who doesn't fit neatly into the categories that we might expect. A person who might be defined medically one way, but understand themselves in a different way. And often, such people are excluded from participation in the Christian church based on a um, kind of medical or pedantic way of reading certain scripture passages, particularly, I would say, scripture's uh, creation narratives. Right? And those, those readings, this is the pre-sermon sermon, those readings often ignore all kinds of things, all kinds of middle ground gray areas like swamps and marshes, or dawn and dusk, or late April snowstorms. In other words, just because the scripture says there's this idea and this opposite idea doesn't mean that there's no other idea. Anyway, uh, today's text is from the book of Acts, chapter 8, verses 26 through 39, and I'm going to read it to you in a minute. But let me set it up for you. If you've been here with us um, or listening to the podcast or watching online the last couple of weeks, uh, you know that we've been looking through the book of the Acts of the Apostles, the stories of the early Christian church. And you will, uh, if you're a careful observer, notice that we're going back a couple of chapters from where we have been. The past two weeks, we've looked at Acts 10 and then Acts 11. So we've seen the story of the Gentile Cornelius who received the Holy Spirit, which surprised the Christian leader, Peter, who then very quickly set aside his lifelong understanding of the rules as they were laid out in Scripture in favor of following what God was clearly doing in the life of a human being who was right in front of him. And then, in chapter 11, who went to tell the whole church all about it. That church, after initially challenging him, listened to his story and accepted the work of God themselves And rejoiced at the idea that the doors had been opened wider than they would have expected. And so that's the name of the series we're working through right now. It's called Open Doors. And it's stories from the early Christian church about God's widening welcome. And how the Christian church responded to that and how that might be for us a model 
of how we ought to respond when we see the Holy Spirit working in the lives of people who we thought, based on our reading of Scripture perhaps, ought to have been excluded. Now you remember, um, if you were here last week or listened to the sermon, that last week's sermon was both a Bible sermon and a business sermon. And the business part of the sermon was that I, I told you that our leadership team has uh, recommended a withdrawal from our denomination um, based on a number of things, but the primary presenting issue is our desire to welcome and embrace LGBTQ plus people fully and their desire for us not to do that in the way that we feel called to do it. Um, it's very hard to put business into sermons. <laughs> but on the other hand, as I said last week, if you start to take the Bible and the spirit seriously, it will get up in your business. I'll tell you more about that at the end. I know that there's some even more businessy stuff that we have to do, and, and it's even less pertinent to a sermon. But it's important to all of us. And so I will be talking about that at the end of the service in a slightly extended experience of our announcements, just to give you a little heads up and warning. Right. So if you're used to checking out after about 10 seconds of announcements, I'm going to ask you to hang with me for an extra minute or two. All right. So let's go back to chapter 8 now. Again, this is the story that comes before the story of Cornelius and Peter and the church in Jerusalem, but it's another powerful story. This is Acts 8, verses 26 through 39. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you are reading? He replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, About whom, may I ask, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. 
Okay, so let's take just a minute to think about who this person is. And then about why it's so remarkable that they were accepted so quickly by Philip. So we don't have a name for this new convert. They're just described as an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. In other words, this is a person who is a foreigner of different ethnicity and ambiguous gender. They're all of those things. And from here on out, I will start using he and him pronouns to be consistent with what the biblical language uses, but I certainly wouldn't argue with you if you looked at this story and used they and them pronouns about the eunuch. And uh, for what it's worth, if you tell me what your pronouns are, I will use them whatever they are. Um, Now, we've already talked in the past couple of weeks about why ethnic and national identity would be barriers to someone being Uh, quickly welcomed into the Jewish family and thereby into the early Christian family, which was emerging from Judaism itself. So this dark-skinned African who was active in the government of a foreign nation would certainly stand out when he went to the temple to worship. And not being fully converted to Judaism, he would have been an an unlikely convert to Christianity. Because once again, you cannot separate early Christianity from uh, its Jewish origins. But for the Ethiopian eunuch, it goes much deeper than that. The fact that his anatomy had either been altered or perhaps had never fully developed in the expected way would have left him in uh, an ambiguous middle ground of gender that would have prevented him from ever experiencing full recognition within the religious system of the temple in Jerusalem. In fact, the most likely result of his trip to Jerusalem, which, by the way, would have taken weeks, was that he would have been turned away. That he would have been barred from worshiping at the temple at all, and that certainly he would have been prevented from entering the inner courts. And the reason for that is that there are passages in the law of Moses that very explicitly uh, prevent people from, uh, like this eunuch, from uh, being admitted into the assembly of God. Deuteronomy 23, for example, um, if you wanted to read it on your own time, is, uh, is quite specific and precise in its exclusion of uh, this particular individual. Uh, And texts like Leviticus 21 would have uh, reinforced that concept and kind of one-upped it by um, clarifying that uh, with this particular anatomical difference, um, he never could have been a priest, even if he had been born to the priestly tribe and been assigned male at birth. Those are the things that would have been required of a priest. Wouldn't have mattered in his case. Um, there's a reason why you don't see Deuteronomy 23.1 on the posters at the Christian bookstore. (laughs) So here's this person who has likely been turned away from worship at the temple, and yet what is he doing? He is still reading and still seeking. 
he's been told, most likely, that because of the very nature of who he is as a human being, he is not permitted to come close to God. And yet, by some grace that I can hardly imagine, because all you have to do is say one mean word to me and I'm ready to be done with you, he is still reading and seeking. I wonder if you know anybody like that. Do you know anybody who's been told by the religious authorities of our day that they can't come into the house of God because of who they are? It's possible that you are a person like that. Perhaps your gender, especially if you are a woman or if you are transgender, has been a barrier to full participation in the religious communities that you have ever been part of. Perhaps your sexual orientation, especially if you are lesbian or gay or bisexual, but often also if you are asexual, has become a barrier to your full participation in the religious communities that you've been part of. Perhaps you have been on the unfortunate receiving end of the unfortunate cold reality that if you do not conform to the patriarchal, heteronormative standards that are deeply embedded in the Western Christian church, you are not worthy and you will be excluded. Now, if that has been your experience personally, first of all, please let me tell you how sorry I am that that has been the case. And that I'm committed to making space for you. That we as a church are committed to reversing that trend in our midst. And that I am continuing to learn every day how to be a better pastor. And our community is learning every day how to be a better church. And we are far from perfect, but we are working. But also... For all of us, but especially for those who've had that kind of exclusionary experience. Let me encourage you to find hope in the rest of the story of this Ethiopian eunuch. Because uh, in his persistent seeking, even in the face of exclusion, the Ethiopian eunuch finds God's grace and welcome. And he sparks another conversion along the way. So in his seeking, he's reading from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, specifically from Isaiah 53. And you heard as I read the passage from Acts, the the passage that he was reading, that said, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter. And so the eunuch has a question for Philip about that. First of all, he says, how can I understand this if no one will even let me in the room, right? That's not exactly what he said, but that's the sense I get from reading it. And then he asks the question, who is the prophet talking about here? About himself or about someone else? And if you, like me, come from a non-marginalized experience of life, that question might just sail right past you. But in my study of this passage, I've done my best to read um, sermons and essays about it written by people who have been marginalized, particularly because of their gender nonconformity. 
And their take is often that the eunuch saw some of his own experience in the passage and was maybe asking a little bit of the question to mean, is it possible that this is about me? Because when he reads the words, in his humiliation, justice was denied him, that's going to speak to him in a way that it could never speak to me. And if you are LGBT in America, if you are black in America, if you are anything other than the kind of assumed norm, right, which usually means white, straight, male, cisgender, etc., etc., you can hear in this passage the pain and maybe feel it along with this person in a way that I literally can't without your help at least. And so, Acts 8 continues. Starting with this scripture, the one that the eunuch has just asked him about, Philip proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. Which I think first and foremost means, well, that passage is actually about Jesus, and let me tell you why. But I wonder how long Philip stayed in that chariot, And I wonder how far through the scroll of the prophet Isaiah they got before their conversation ended. See, there in Isaiah chapter 53. But I wonder if they made it a chapter ahead or two chapters ahead or maybe even three chapters ahead to Isaiah 56. Where if they made it that far the eunuch would have read these words, which you heard Vila read before the sermon. Do not let the foreigner join to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people, and do not let the eunuch say, I am just a dry tree. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. I like to think they made it to Isaiah chapter 56. And I like to think that was the moment when the eunuch said... (laughs) And maybe it took a minute because he's looking out the window. (laughs) There's some water. What's to prevent me from being baptized? Let's take a minute to ask ourselves the same type of question we asked ourselves last week, which is, what if the apostle in this story had responded differently? What if when the Ethiopian eunuch said, look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? Philip had said, well, sorry, but you're a Gentile. You're from Ethiopia. You're different in all these ways. We haven't quite gotten to Acts 10 yet. (laughs) What if he said, well, there's this other scroll, and it has this other thing in there about people who, you know, and... 
the truth is you're just sexually ambiguous and you're incapable of transmitting life and you stand outside the purposes and categories of the original creation. He wouldn't say that because I'm quoting something that someone wrote in this century. He didn't say any of those things. Because the Ethiopian eunuch was not the only person who got converted that day. Philip is having his own conversion experience in this story. What he's beginning to understand is that God's kingdom is not about pruning away every undesirable person and thing until the world has finally returned to some original purity and perfection of creation. But rather, it's about Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, ushering in a new creation. And in this new creation, as we would find written in the letter to the Galatians, there is no longer Jew or Greek. There's no longer Israelite and Ethiopian. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Thanks be to God that Philip was converted that day and did not stand in the way of the Ethiopian eunuch. And God help us if we don't come to Jesus when we're given the opportunity to welcome somebody new into the family of God. I'm not an altar call type of preacher. Surprises nobody to learn. (laughs) But as I hinted in the first and second week of this series, I actually really believe that God is leading me or telling me to offer a very concrete invitation to faith in each one of these sermons. And I have no chill. I can't be subtle about that and I can't not mention it. (laughs) I'm just telling you that because I want you to know this is where this comes from. And so I want to speak first to people who have been excluded. Especially if you've been excluded from full participation in the Christian church and community because of your race or ethnicity or nationality or gender. If that is accurate to your experience, I'd like to invite you to Imagine yourself in the chariot with the Ethiopian eunuch and with Philip. Put yourself right up in there. Jump right up. Run over to the chariot like Philip did and get in. And I want to encourage you. I am not your guide in this situation. Allow this similarly marginalized person to be your guide. 
perhaps the Spirit will speak through that convert and lead you to your own conversion. You remember what the eunuch said, look, here is water, what is to prevent me from being baptized? Do you see what he did in that moment? He responded to God and advocated for himself. That is so powerful to me. It wasn't like Philip said, hey, you know what? As the expert in this situation, I have determined that perhaps God is welcoming you into the family. Against all of my prior understandings. No, no, no. (laughs) The person who had been marginalized said, hey, buddy, what's to prevent me from being baptized? So if you have been marginalized, I want you to imagine looking out the window of that chariot and seeing that water and saying to whomever you might need to imagine saying it to, me or anybody else, what's to prevent me? Maybe it's not baptism specifically for you. You might have gotten baptized before they found out the truth. Maybe it's playing in the band or being on a leadership team or becoming a pastor or any number of other experiences within the church that you have been barred from having. Could you imagine yourself saying to those who had excluded you, what's to prevent me? Because the answer is nothing. Nothing is to prevent you. And maybe that's God's invitation to say that truth to yourself. Nothing will prevent me. Nothing can prevent me. I will let nothing prevent me. I will let no one prevent me from experiencing what God has for me. That's the first part of the invitation. The second one is to the Phillips who are listening. Those of you who, like me, have never been barred from anything based on your innate characteristics, your invitation might be to open yourself, to become obedient, to follow the lead of the Holy Spirit as it is is conveyed to you through the body of marginalized people you know. And your call if you are like Philip, is to prepare yourself to give the correct answer to that question. What is to prevent them from? Fill in the blank and then realize that the answer is nothing, certainly not me. If you're like Philip, you need to practice saying the word nothing. Nothing is to prevent you. Because God has called you, and you have responded, and there is nothing that I will do ever to inhibit the work of God in your life. And then, we can all, now that we're on the same page, imagine the last part of the invitation. Do you remember who jumped down out of the chariot into the water? Which one of the characters? They both did. 
So let's all jump out of that chariot together. Let's all have our come to Jesus moment together. Let's all get converted together. Let's all jump down into the waters of baptism and ready ourselves for this new creation that Jesus is continuing to usher in in the power of the Holy Spirit. God, give us strength. God, give us courage. God, give us your grace. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.